Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are going to continue our study of the book of Ezra. We're going to study chapter 9 today. If you recall, in chapter 8 we learned of the arrival of Ezra and his group of new immigrants that had left the exile with the support of the king to join their brethren who were already in Jerusalem to the temple that had already been built. So here we have a a new group of uh, probably several thousand Jews under the leadership of this Torah scholar, Ezra, who was described as a Torah scholar, who now comes to join the people (laughs) that are there at... um, in, uh, in, in Israel already. Um, and they bring their offerings to the temple. And now that they're here, Ezra is about to encounter something which um, was going on uh, with the spiritual state of the people that were there already uh, was not up to snuff. It was not the level that they were hoping for. Here you have this group of people coming from the exile expecting to come to the temple and find people involved in, 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 in the worship of God and serving God and building a proper society the way God wants it. But what they find is something else. They find something less than ideal. What they find in the land of Israel are people that are far from perfect. And we're going to read of that encounter, what it was that they were doing wrong, and um, what Ezra, this newcomer, was about to do about it. Um, I want to point out a few things before we study this chapter. And that is I want to wind back a little bit to the prophet Malachi, or Malachi, chapter 2. Now, we recall, that I mentioned several times the tradition, that the, that, that the rabbinic tradition that Ezra and Malachi, Malachi, are one and the same. And when we discussed Malachi, we discussed how the um, timeline kind of aligns. We know when Malachi approximately said his prophecies. The name Malachi doesn't really sound like an actual name. The word Malachi means my messenger. So one can easily read the um, Malachi as a almost a, um, a generic term for God's prophet as opposed to the actual name of the particular prophet who spoke those prophecies. The timeline fits, and a lot of issues that come up in Malachi are very similar to the issues that come up in Ezra, chief among them the one which we're about to study, which is the issue of intermarriage. I do want to go back and show how some of the language that we saw in Malachi chapter 2, starting with verse 10, um, uh, will line up with some of the language that Ezra is going to use. And I think I would like to accept this tradition um, for the purposes of understanding the chapter, that Malachi and Ezra were one and the same. Therefore, what would ha- if, if, assuming that that's the case, as our tradition teaches us, then Ezra would have been both the last prophet and the first non-prophetic leader. As we saw, Ezra is portrayed in his own book deliberately, not as a prophet, but as one who was a sofer mohir, one who was a scholar, one who um, who um, studied the word of God, one who knew the word of God and knew the Torah. 
We know that in Malachi, and uh, one of the final verses was Zichru Torah Moshe Avti, remember the Torah of Moshe. Malachi emphasized the study of Torah in, in, in a way that was stronger than we find in most of the other prophets, as opposed to other prophets which more, were more um, common that they emphasized uh, behavior, justice, righteousness, etc. And the shift from prophecy as being the mode of, of, of leadership, that the, the one who led the people in God's ways was a prophet who spoke to God, to being one who knew God's Torah, interpreted the Torah, and then taught the ways of the Torah to the people, um, the shift occurred with Ezra. Now, the, the issue that we're about to deal with is the issue of intermarriage. Now, the issue of intermarriage, of course, is one which uh, resonates with us today. Um, as um, there is a significant amount of intermarriage between Jewish people and non-Jewish people. And I would like to point out uh, a few things that we're going to learn from Ezra about what is the problem with intermarriage here, what bothers Ezra, and what does not bother Ezra, what bothered Malachi, and what does not bother Malachi. And sir. well, I guess it shouldn't be surprising, but it's pretty astounding how the issues that resonate then and the issues that were important to them then are the issues are very similar to things that we discuss today in our time. And those issues revolve around the following. <coughs> and, <coughs> <I'm, coughs> and that is, is, is Judaism a particularist religion or a universalist religion? And what does that mean? The universalists point to the many, many, many uh, verses that we studied together among the, among the prophets that, that speak of the future of days as a time when all of humankind will come to worship God together um, in Zion and all of us with one unity of purpose will, will, will join together to worship God. Chief among the prophets that, uh, uh, that speak, often speak in universalistic language is the prophet Isaiah. Now, we, don't, we also find areas where the Torah emphasizes the uniqueness of the Jewish people. Exactly, um, this is not the place or the time to go into what the chosenness of the chosen people is and so on, but just um, many of those verses that we find in the Torah and other places would seem to suggest that there may be an inherent superiority of the chosen people over others. This, this would argue against a universalist position. It would argue towards a particularist position, which means that God has a particular interest and special relationship with the Jewish people that is inherent. Um, and therefore, when one looks at the, the, the idea and the problem of intermarriage, one can see it in two ways. We know that the Torah uh, rails against, uh, specifically, and we'll see this soon in Ezra, who directly quotes from the Torah, you know, don't give your sons to their daughters and your daughters to their sons in reference to the Canaanites when they enter the land. Um, one could say that God does not want that to happen because Jews uh, are inherently the chosen people and shouldn't be marrying those that are lesser than them, those that are beneath them. That is a very particularist way of looking at things. And I have heard in many cases that Ezra, and we're about to study Ezra chapter 9 and 10, is one of the most particularist books of Tanakh. 
as opposed, because he rails against intermarriage, as we shall see momentarily. However, the universalists would look at intermarriage not as a problem per se. There's no issue with someone who's Jewish or no specific superiority of, of a Jew over a non-Jew, of the chosen people over the non-chosen. But the problem that the Torah had was a problem of more of intermarriage as a symptom than a sign. Intermarriage as a symptom of separation and distance from God, after which one then turns and goes to other people and building families with those that don't share our values. I know that's a very modern way of saying things, but it's the same way in those days you would say those people have terrible pagan practices. They are corrupt. They are, have practices that are abominable to us, that are we find uh, as idolatrous, we find them as wrong, and marrying into and, and, and them when they still maintain those practices, okay, that is, is, is both a sign of our spiritual and moral decline. If they were to not maintain those practices and join us and join God, then would fall away completely this issue and problem of intermarriage. Now I want to go back to Malachi here because I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna argue this. I'm simply gonna do what I always do, which is let the prophets speak. We're gonna let the verses speak for themselves, and you can decide for yourself whether or not you would consider Ezra a particularist, as I have heard many people refer to him as and as a source for being anti-intermarriage in the particularist stance, uh, how, or is Ezra actually the opposite of a particularist, but rather a universalist? And again, I'm going to identify Ezra with Malachi according to our tradition, and let us begin, before we study Ezra, let's remind ourselves of what Malachi said in chapter 2. And if you go back to the podcast what, uh, when we studied Malachi 2 together, I looked as many of the commentaries, many of the classic traditional commentaries as well, understand this as the following verses in Malachi 2, starting with verse 10, as a dialogue between Malachi, read Ezra, and the people in his discussion over the problem of intermarriage. So God then said, uh, 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 says through his prophet Malachi slash Ezra to his people as follows. Um, Actually, I'm sorry, I'm going to start with uh, verse 9, where Malachi criticizes the people and says that if you don't watch my way, if you don't keep my Torah, right, then I am going to punish you. And then the people answer in verse 10, and, and criticizing them specifically regarding their intermarriage with the, the children of the idol worshippers that were then resident in the land of Israel. Don't we all have one father? We were all created by one God. The people are coming with a very modern, very um, um, pluralistic argument. You know, we're all human beings. We were all created by God. We're all God's children. Why is it? And one way of understanding this is, why is it that you're looking at our intermarriage as us rebelling against our brothers and breaking the covenant we made with our forefathers when this is not Ishbiachiv, we are all brothers. Another way of understanding the second half of that verse is that that is the response 
of Malachi, who, who's saying, yes, it's true that Avechad Lekulanu, but you're still rebelling when one man, uh, you're still rebelling against your people and, and, and breaking the covenant when you marry out. And he says, Bagda Yehuda, this is, this is Malachi's response to the people, still in verse 11. The people of Judah have rebelled and they have done something abominable or disgusting or, or, or they've um, uh, in, in Israel and in Jerusalem. Because Judah has profaned, has, has, has uh, abused the holiness of God which God loves so much. And he has had relations with and has um, married Boal here, uh, um, uh, also meaning married the daughters of a foreign god. So Malachi makes it very clear here that what is the problem? What is what is it that Judah did that was wrong? What is it that the people that are doing is that they had married women who are believing in other gods, women who are away from God. Yachreit Adonai Leisha Sheria Aseno Ervi Ona. This verse twelve. May God cut off from descendants from any man who um, who has done this, any descendant from them, may Yaakov from the community of Jacob, and they should never be around even their descendants to bring sacrifices in the temple to God. So, he made it clear that it was Now, I would like to point out several important and key terms and phrases here that that um, will help us understand what is going on um, when we study Ezra. Okay, so we so we talked about here the uh, people's defense of halo avechad lekulano. We talked about over here how it's rebelling against the people. It's leaving the people when they marry those who are worshiping other gods okay now i want to go and read another verse from ezra chapter 6 okay so this is from this book we just read this studied this together not too long ago and we said that by when the people came back from the from the uh, exile the first group and they built the beit hamikdash they built the temple so it says in ezra 6 chapter 21 and the people of Israel who had returned from the Gola, from the exile, all ate of the, of, the, of the Paschal Lamb, of the Passover sacrifices when they had rededicated the Beit HaMikdash. And then it lists, And all of those who had separated themselves from the uh, profaned and impure ways of the people of the land that came Lidrosh to search out Yisrael, that came to search out God, the Lord of Israel. And the commentaries, all the traditional commentaries from Rashi on down understood this Kol HaNivdal to be a list of a second group of people. There was first group is Vayochlu Bnei Yisrael, the Jewish people that returned from the Gola. Those were the people descendant of the Judeans. And V'chol HaNivdal refers to those that lived in the land, those that were not Judeans, but had separated themselves from the evil ways, from the corrupt ways of the people of the land, and came Lidrosh, and came to search out uh, the Lord God. 
So we see here in the book of Ezra itself, very clearly written, that when one is nivdal, when the non-Jews separate themselves from their bad ways, and they come lidrosh, they come to search out God, those non-Jews were welcome in the temple and were brought under the wings and were brought into the service and were of those that celebrated Passover together with the people of Israel, with the descendants of Israel. And I want to point out one more thing, and I mentioned this um, when we studied chapter 8 before, that in Ezra's mind, Ezra made it very clear to discuss and talk about, I'm looking for the verse again, uh, this is verse 22, chapter 8, that differentiating between those that are mivakshav, those that are searching out, very similar to the language lidrosh, to search out, uh, to search out God, those that are trying to come close to Him, separating themselves from the bad and coming close to God. And then those who ozevav, those who separate themselves from God and forsake Him. Now let's study chapter 9 together with all of this in mind, what we just learned in Malachi and what we just learned in chapter 6 and chapter 8. And now we'll, we'll try to understand from Ezra's words themselves what exactly Ezra is saying. So as we begin chapter 9, let us just remember in Ezra 8 we ended, the people arrived, the people came, they brought their sacrifices, they brought their donations, and now they're settling down. So Kichalot Eilam, when these events ended, you know, the events that I just described ended in the previous chapter, Nigisu Eilai Hasorim Lemar. The officers, the people in charge, approached me saying as follows. Um, they, Lo nivdilu ha'am Yisrael v'hakohanim v'halavim me'ameho aratzos. The people of Israel and the Kohanim, the priests and the Levites, have not separated themselves from the nations of the land. They joined them, Kito Avos Tehem, and they are doing just like their abominable ways. Lakinaani, similarly to the way the Canaanites acted, Hachiti, the Hittites, Haprizi, Haivusi, the Jebusites, Hamoni, the Ammonites, Hamoavi, Moabites, Hamitsri, and the Egyptians, Bohemori, and the Amorites. So the, the, they lay it down clear to Ezra that the people came to the land to build a special house, the temple of God, to worship God. And instead of doing that, they started joining the ways of the people that lived in the land, who were continuing in the ways of the original inhabitants of the land, the ones that preceded the Israelites, which to, the, God had warned them not to be like them, not to intermarry with them, which is the ultimate sign of being like them, intermarrying with them and starting to practice their practices. Now, the people that lived in the land today weren't any more these actual nations of Canaanites, Hittites, and so on. But um, because by this time, uh, the land of Judea was a mix, a mix, a mishkebabble of people from all sorts of origins, many of whom had their origins in some of those original nations. Um, but it was a, a mix-up. After, by the time, after the Assyrian conquests and then the Babylonian conquests and then the Persian conquests and all the Persian-Egyptian wars and so on, 
the area was not, uh, the nations were not extent. However, the, 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 the practices and the various pagan cults still persisted, of course, throughout the area, people persisted in practicing the very various cults and, and, God, and worships of various gods that they had worshipped before. <laughs> Because we know that they have now married, intermarried from their daughters to them and from their sons. And the holy, um, the holy seed of Israel has mixed in. Now, one uh, can, a particularist would look at these words, Zerah HaKodesh, and say the holy seed, the holy children of Israel who have a special level of holiness have mixed among the nations of the land. But actually, that's a, it's a misinterpretation. And the reason why I say that is because Malachi, who is Ezra himself, the same speaker, wrote in chapter 2, which we just read together, but I didn't get to this verse, verse 15, during the dialogue between Malachi and the people regarding the same issue of intermarriage, he stated, um, Is it not true that God made us all? And just like the one searches out the seed of God. Now, Zerah Elohim there, if, you look, if we look at the commentaries, if we go back to when we studied it together, refers to Zerah refers to the people themselves, the children themselves who are the children of God. Zerah Elohim are those that serve God, the people who serve God. Zerah Kodesh over here clearly means exactly what it meant before, which is the, um, the people who were supposed to be the Zerah Kodesh, the people of God, the people who are supposed to be worshiping God, have mixed among the nations of the land who are not the Zerah or not the people who are worshipping God. And the people, the leaders, the people in charge, the officers, they were the first ones to do this rebellion. The leaders led the people in the wrong direction of intermarrying among those who had these abominable practices that were similar to the practices that were practiced by those nations that God had warned the people against. And Ezra, remember, Ezra who had just uh, gathered people together from the exile, to, let's go worship the holy God, and came, and remember we listed out the families that had maintained their religion and their faithfulness to God within the exile, come to the land of Israel, thinking they're, they're going up in holiness only to find that the people in Israel have left God. The people of Israel are now forsaking God for the gods and that the, uh, for the gods' liturgy of the, of the people of the land. And we'll see those, those feelings expressed very clearly by Ezra in the next following verses. And they gathered upon me all of those who were fearful of the word of God of Israel. The ones that had come with me from exile, they were the ones that were, had stuck with God, were faithful to him. And I was just sitting stunned, just completely stunned, the entire day until it came time for the offering, the evening offering that was brought every evening 
in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple of the Minchat Arab, and when the evening offering was brought and the day was coming to an end, it was enough sitting around being stunned and fasting and with my torn clothes that I had torn and my torn cloak that I had torn in mourning over this terrible news that I have just heard. And I said, it's action time. No more sitting around. But before I started the action, I prayed to God and I bowed before God on my knees. And I raised my hands to the God, the Lord my God. And what did I say to God? The Omran, I said, Elohai, boshti v'nechlamti. I am so embarrassed and I am so ashamed. Here we have Ezra not responding with anger. There was anger, right? There was some anger. But he doesn't, But what, what he was actually was stunned. And this is stunning, these words. He stood in front of God and said, I am embarrassed. I am ashamed. L'harim Elohai ponai elecha to raise my face towards you, God. I, as a leader, I... And think about it. Ezra wasn't even in Israel. His, he was the one who remained faithful. Why is he embarrassed? He's embarrassed because he looks at all of the people as one, regardless of the fact that they were people that lived in exile and these are people that lived in Judea. They were people that stayed with God and these are people that did not. He could easily have differentiated himself and said, I'm better than them, but no, he immediately includes himself among them and says to God, I am embarrassed. Ki avo no because our sins, he immediately takes ownership of those people and considers them himself. He's considering himself part of that group. Our sins, Rabula Mala Rosh, have become so great and overwhelming above our heads, we're over our heads in sin, and our um, uh, iniquities have gone so great all the way to the heavens. Verse 7, from the days of our forefathers, we have been terribly sinning people all the way until this day. It continues, it persists, this sin of leaving God, forsaking God for the abominable and corrupt practices of those that surround us to the extent that we intermarry with them while they remain in those ways. We're not talking about those people that converted to Judaism, those people that left, that separated themselves, that we saw in chapter 6, separated themselves from the Ameharats, from the nations of the land, and went to Lidros to search out God, not those, but those people we're connecting ourselves, they're connecting themselves to now. And we are connecting ourselves to now are those that remain remain in their disgusting paths and disgusting ways. And it is within our sins. Why is it that I had to go and humble myself before the king of the Persians in order to come here? And I didn't, we didn't have the power of ourselves to stand on our own two feet and be independent. It's because of our sins. The reason why our, our, um, our kings and our priests and our leadership have been uh, placed underneath the hand, the iron fist of the kings of the lands, meaning the kings of Persia, and we were put under the sword and in captivity of Abiza and, and humiliated of Boshes Panim. And, and, and um, uh, uh, Babiza means uh, pun, uh, pillage of Boshes Panim and humiliated Kayoma Zelik. We are today. The situation we're in today, it's because of our sins. It's because we didn't stay faithful to you, Viata. And now, Kimat Rega, for a tiny moment, 
a small moment, a small minute. There was some, there was some um, uh, relief from the, the, the Lord our God. To leave us a small remnant, a tiny group of people. To place us as a peg, as like the first peg in the building. Of a, of, a, of a small something, a small presence. You're giving us permission. You're allowing us, even while we're under the thumb of the foreign kings, to finally rebuild. To lighten our eyes, to brighten our days. And to give us a little bit of michya, a little bit of, of, of sustenance, even while we remain enslaved to the Persians. But at least a little bit, you're sustaining us. A little bit, a glimmer of hope you're giving us. Because be it known, make, I make, it's very clear, we still are slaves. But nonetheless, while we were slaves, while we were enslaved for 70 years under the Babylonian and then the Persian Empire, we did not forsake, no, I'm sorry, our God did not forsake us. Ezra did not take the credit and say, we remain faithful to you while we were there. That would hint of arrogance. But Ezra says, you remained with us, just like Ezekiel promised us that the chariot of God went into exile with the Jewish people and, came, and was going to come back for the next temple, that God was with us, God will be a migdosh me'at in the language of, of, of Ezekiel. Ezra is saying, you kept that promise, you stayed with us even while we were in exile. And now you, you, put, you made our kindness come out in front of the kings of Persia. You have them look upon us with kindness. To give us a little bit of sustenance. To uplift at Beit Salohenu, the house of our God, Ulahamidet Charvosav, and to reestablish his ruined foundations, Velasislanu Gader, and to give us a small fence, a small uh, foothold, Behuda Vishlaim, in Judea and Jerusalem. Viata, but now, Manomar Elohenu Achrizos, what are we going to say, our God, after all of this? How can we approach you now? Kiyazavnu Mitzvosecha, we have forsaken your mitzvos, your commandments. And here, Ezra, as we know, is a sofar mahir, is very well versed in the Torah, is going to quote Torah for us. You commanded us through your prophets, chiefly your prophet Moses, saying as follows, The land which you are coming to inherit, it is a land of impurity, it's a land of corrupt practices. Benidas what is it impure with? It's impure with the impurities of the nations of the land, and all of their disgusting practices. They have filled this land from one side to the other, full of their impurities. And now, do not give your daughters to their sons, because they're corrupt. And their daughters do not marry off to your sons. And do not ever try to make peace with them. <laughs> do not try to make things good for them and be nice to them. Now, does, is this sound very particular? It's, do not do anything nice to those people. Remember, Ezra himself in his own book just wrote to us that those nations that come under the wing of God were welcome in the temple. But he makes it very clear in the next words. Leman, he made it very clear. These were those 
who did not separate themselves from their to'avotehem, from their disgusting ways. Those, I never want you to be in order that, because if you do, then you're learning from their ways, you're admitting to their ways, you're allowing them to persist in their ways. But if you get rid of them, if you don't stay with them, you don't make peace with them, you don't intermarry with them, then you will be strong, then you will eat from the bounty that the land gives you. And then you will inherit this land for your children, for your descendants forever. But if you don't, then it's not going to work. And after all of what has happened to us because of what we've done wrong, all of what we've been through, after all of the sufferings during the first temple period from the Assyrians and all of the destruction of the northern kingdom and, 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 and the invasions of the Assyrians and then the invasions of the Babylonians and then the, the destruction of the Babylonians and the 70 years of exile and the decrees of Achashverosh, which we mentioned earlier in Ezra. After all of that, which occurred to us because it all happened to us on account of our evil ways because of our terrible guilt because you God you have been um, you have been uh, patient with us you have held back you have repaid us in punishments less than what we deserved for our sins and instead of punishing us even more you gave us a little hope, a little remnant, a little leftover, a few Jews get back to Jerusalem. That we go, should we go ahead again and ruin and, and disobey your laws and intermarry with the nations that commit these abominations? Again, Ezra makes it clear what's wrong with these Amim because they persist in their to'evot. Hello to enough Banu Ad isn't this what's gonna happen now? Are you gonna be angry with us and completely destroy us so that there will be nothing left? the final words of this tefillah, the final words of this prayer of Ezra is God, the Lord of Israel, Tzadikata, you are just, you are righteous. we have only this small remnant left today. We are here in front of you. We have our sins. We are admitting our sins. We cannot stand in front of you with because of these terrible sins that we have. You got our tzaddik. So um, I cannot stand here in front of you any longer with the sin in our hands. We have to do something in order to gain your favor. And then we will find out in chapter 10 what it is that Ezra does to fix the problem, and whether or not Ezra is a particularist or a universalist, I will leave that to you to decide after you heard the words of Ezra himself, not the words of anyone who interpreted it, but the words of Ezra himself, I'll allow you to decide. The conversation will of course continue in chapter 10 as we complete the book of Ezra together. Thank you so much.